podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Wednesday, the 15th of December, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network, which allows you to go online, change your location and access things you're geo-blocked from. If you're a UK expat, want to watch BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, SkyGo, whatever it is, Liberty Shield will allow you to change your location to the UK bypass the blockers and get watching Americans out of their own country wanting to watch Hulu, Peacock, whatever it is, you can get doing that. If you just live in the UK and you fancy American Netflix, you can do that too. LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPL599 and get your first month for one quid. Instant download to your devices. No contract. So you're not locked into anything long term. Six ninety nine normal monthly charge with the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. LibertyShield.com EPL five nine nine. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops which you can find on Etsy. And there is a whole new line of cups and different things up on the EPL site. You want to have a look through them. Loads and loads of new merchandise there. You can get hold of it for very, very reasonable prices. And if you use the code EPL10 at checkout, you will get 10% off at well, look at checkout, obviously. Uh, there is a Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang Arsenal mug, which could become a collector's item if he finds his way out of the club in January. There's also the Anfield Index shop for those Liverpool fans among you. And again, Red 10 will get you 10% off at checkout. Right, folks. So, what a bizarre night in the Premier League last night. Uh, Norwich nil, Aston Villa 2. Jacob Ramsey put put Villa one up. Uh, Really good solo goal. Appalling defence from Norwich. Ozan Kabak making a very young defender type mistake. Goes with Ollie Watkins towards the halfway line. Tries to make a tackle when he can't get close to the ball. Is caught out of position. Ramsey picks the ball up. Drives at the defence. And for some reason, Max Ahrens and Ben Gibson both back off and back off and back off and let him carry the ball a good 20 yards when one of them should have stepped to him to make the tackle, knowing the other could cover. Ideally, you'd want Gibson making the tackle and Aaron's more recovery pace stepping in behind just on the off chance he does get through. Worst case scenario, Gibson takes him down. Aaron's is the covering man. It's a yellow card, not a red card. 
very very poor but a great goal by the young player brilliant finish took it very well and having been denied a Premier League goal against Leicester a few weeks back he is now opening his account as a Premier League footballer he said after the game he wants to be a goal scoring midfielder he wants to be like Steven Gerrard when you see the talent in him his brother's meant to be even more talented. Carney Chukwameka came off the bench and he made the second goal for Ollie Watkins driving down the left channel. Again, it's really poor defending from Norwich, but a good ball across and Watkins taps home on 87. Norwich didn't really offer much. Their best chance came when Tyron Mings played a man into trouble. The ball broke loose. And I think I'm right in saying it was Kenny McLean who got in on goal but made a mess of things. I think I'm right in saying it was Kenny McLean. Nothing went well for Norwich in this game. They were poor. Smith made changes. They didn't really work for him. He needs to find better balance in his team. He needs to settle on a team, though. Obviously, he's had some injuries. He's got COVID issues that he needs to work his way through. But this was poor from Norwich. But a good win for Villa. That's four wins from six for Gerrard. 12 points taken. It means that Villa have jumped from scrapping against the potential you know, relegation battle all the way up to ninth in the league. Now, they have played a game more than everybody below them, so it's likely that they get overhauled with these midweek fixtures. But you can't fault the wins. You can't. They've been favourable fixtures. Brighton haven't won since September. Palace were in their first kind of dip under Vieira. Leicester are not great this season, but that was a good win. Norwich, they should beat. But all you can do is beat the teams in front of you, and that's what Gerrard is setting them up to do, win the games in front of you. I think Villa should be a top-half team with the talent they have at their disposal. I think they should be a top-half team, but... Lots of teams should be something that they're not. Leeds shouldn't be in the bottom three or bottom five, but they are. And Leeds got spanked 7-0 last night and will come on to that. You know, Villa are doing what they should do. A lot of teams don't do it. So credit to Gerrard, credit to Michael Beale, credit to the players. The attitude, the work rate has been really, really good. I thought Emi Buendia put in a shift last night, which he hasn't always done since making his move. Good to see Gerard use his squad as well. Get Chuck Omeka on. Get Axel Tunzebi some minutes. Danny Ings off the bench. Great to see Trezeguet back on the bench. Really, really good to see Trezeguet back on the bench after suffering the bad knee injury. Um, he he can become a you know an important player under Gerard in the short term because he is a hard worker. He will follow tactical instructions really well. And um, as Gerard tries to implement his system. That's what will be required. Moving on to the second game of the evening. Manchester City 7, Leeds 0. I said yesterday, Leeds could get spanked. This will be wide open. And Jack Grealish might even play well. And all of those things happened. I didn't expect a 7-0. I did expect it to be wide open. City had 31 shots in the game, 15 of them on target. So Villan Melier is feeling upset about conceding 
seven goals, he should remember that his defence allowed him to face 31 shots, 15 of them on, on target on his goal. Leeds were a mess, an absolute mess. Luke Ayling put in one of the worst defensive displays I think I've ever seen. It was shambolic. The midfield of Forshaw and Dallas did not work. Nothing, in truth, worked for Leeds. Nothing worked for them in this game. Phil Foden made it one on eight minutes. Abysmal stuff. Abysmal defending from Leeds. Foden does really well, but Luke Ayling really weak in the tackle, and then Stuart Dallas gets back in position, should easily clear Foden's shot, gets his feet in a mess, falls over, and the ball ends up in, in the net. Uh, Grealish made it two on 13 minutes with a header from a Kevin De Bruyne cross. Great cross into the box, but dear Lord, somebody marked the fella who's 5'9". Luke Ayling again, all at sea, standing about, scratched himself. Um, De Bruyne made it three on 32 minutes, broke into the inside left channel and a smart finish. In the second half, Riyad Mahrez deflected shot off the heel of Junior Firpo, found the bottom corner. More comedy, def- oh sorry, the second De Bruyne one came next. It's an absolute rocket of a shot from about 20 yards out. Not even top corner it's quite central but the sheer power on the ball gives Melier no chance uh more comedy defending for the sixth goal as John Stones scored Melier made two saves here and his defender still gave him no help and Stones finished it off and then Nathan Aki rounded out the route on 78 minutes with a tidy finish from short range uh, looking very much like Rude Hullet last night, I thought, with his hair and his face. He just looks like Rude Hullet, like a young Rude Hullet. Um, obviously, very impressive from City. There's no denying that. Anytime you score seven, it's an impressive feat. Um, they've played a game more than Liverpool and have still scored five goals less, though, which will tell you quite a bit about how Liverpool have played and attacked this season. City look pretty unbeatable at the minute. That's six straight wins, and it looks like it's going to take a hell of an effort for anybody to stop them. Up next, they've got Newcastle. Anyone fancy Newcastle to trouble them much? Then they got Leicester at home, Brentford away, Arsenal away, and then Chelsea at home on the 15th of January, which will be a huge, huge game. For Leeds, it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. They are 16th, three points clear of Watford, five clear of Burnley, but Burnley have played two games less. Watford have played a game less. Watford have a better defensive record and a better scoring record. So if Watford were to win their next game, which is against Burnley tonight, Leeds will be 17th in the table. If Burnley win, Burnley will be within two points of Leeds. And they also have a vastly superior goal difference to Leeds. Leeds now have the third worst defence in the league, which, you know, it's not great. Because they've spent quite a bit of money on that defence since coming up. The problem is they're just, they're buying good players, but not necessarily looking into the possibility of injuries, 
settling in. I mean, Junior Firpo is a good player. And he does suit Bielsa's way of playing. But he has not settled well into the Premier League. And he's had a couple of little injuries. He costs £15 million. They signed Robin Cock last summer. He's a good defender. There's no doubt he's a good defender. But he's only played 17 games since joining. And he also cost around £15 million. And Diego Loriente is the best of the bunch. Though, based on the showing last night, you might not agree. Um, he cost £18 million. He's played a sum total. What did he play? 15 last season, but 10 this season. But 25 league games. It's not great. It's not great. They haven't addressed right back. The goalkeeper's talented, but he's incredibly young. Without Phillips, they look completely lost in midfield, and they've got no defensive presence in that midfield at all. I, I am starting to get very, very worried about Leeds United. Their next run of games, Arsenal at home, Liverpool away, Aston Villa at home, then Burnley, then West Ham. They get West Ham back-to-back. They have them away in the Cup and then away in the league. That is a very, very tough run of games. By the time they face Newcastle on January 22nd, they may well be sitting next to them in the bottom three. Or they could be below them. If any two of Burnley... Watford and Newcastle get their act together, or even Norwich, to be fair. It wouldn't take much for Leeds to drop into that bottom three. And with Phillips out for two months, he's also going to miss that lead, that Newcastle game. He'll miss the second game against Villa. He'll likely miss Everton. He could miss United. Then they get Tottenham. Then they get Leicester. Like, their February is brutal. Absolutely brutal. I have grave concerns over Leeds United. They need to go out in January and properly address some of the issues in their squad. They need to bring in at least one centre-back. It might be worth, as good as Melier is, it might be worth considering looking for someone with a bit more experience. A right-back has got to be a priority as well. Maybe not for January, but certainly for the summer. And I definitely think they need to find another piece in midfield. Ideally, somebody that's more of a box-to-box player but can do that sitting role that Phillips does so that when Phillips is back, they can play together. And maybe your midfield 3-0 becomes Phillips, that new signing, and Jack Harrison. Because I think Dan James will likely play wide when everybody's fit. Rafinha will be wide on the other side, Bamford through the middle. Well, they probably need to bring in two, if not three, pieces in, in January. And if they don't, it's it's tough to see where points are going to come from. Now, they've got a great coach, and they've got great team spirit. But you look at that team last night. Melier, Shackleton, Ailing, Lorente, Firpo, Dallas, Forshaw, Rafinha, Roberts, Harrison, and Dan James up front. And you tell me how many of them you'd actually trust in a Premier League match. 
Harrison, Firpo, Lorente. Maybe for yeah, Firpo. Once he settled, Lorente. Those three for certain. And absolutely Rafinha. But the rest, I mean, the, the keeper, again, he's just so young. Shackleton, championship. Ailing, championship. Dallas, championship. Forshaw, championship. Roberts, talented but inconsistent. And Dan James, I mean, his pace is an incredible weapon, but he doesn't always know how to utilize it properly. And he's not always put in the best position to utilize it either. Certainly hasn't been at Leeds. Playing him through the middle is silly. And you look at the bench, Joe Gelhart, Charlie Cresswell, Cody Drama, Somerville, Greenwood, these are Liam McCarron, Jake Jenkins, kids, Christopher Classen, the young keeper. The only experienced, I would say the only sub on that bench over the age of 21 is Matthias Glish, who I don't understand how he wasn't starting last night. When you, when you have the issues they have, I don't understand how he wasn't starting. And you look at the players that they have to come back. Rodrigo's a good player. They overpaid for him. Struyuk's a good young player. Bamford obviously is huge for them. Phillips is huge for them. Liam Cooper's a championship player. And Robin Cock. One, two, three, four. They've got eight players that can play in this division on a regular basis. A bunch of kids... A couple of players who could go either way in, in James and Roberts. And a whole bunch of championship players. And eventually that will catch up on you. Eventually teams will figure you out. And teams have figured leads out. And they figured out where the space is, where the gaps are, what the flaws are in that system. And they're exposing it. And they will expose it over and over again until something changes. Arsenal will try and expose them. Liverpool will absolutely hammer them. Liverpool at Anfield on Boxing Day in an early kickoff. I think Leeds could be in for an app, another tonking that day. Gerrard's Villa will pull them apart. West Ham will tear them asunder on the counter. It's, it's going to get messy at Ellen Road. It really is. Unless they can address things, unless Bielsa reins things back in just a little bit. Messy, messy situation. We have three games in the Premier sorry, four games in the Premier League tonight. We have Brighton and Hove Albion versus Wolves. That should be a good game. Brighton have obviously not won in, well, two and a half months, nearly three months, uh, which isn't great. But they are a good team. They do play some decent football. Their prevailing ability is not conceding goals, which is also the prevailing ability of this Wolves team. The secondary ability of these teams is not to score goals. So between the two of them, they have managed 26 goals this season. For context, Leicester, United, West Ham, Chelsea, City and Liverpool have all scored more goals on their own than those two have combined. Um, but also look for context. Leeds, Watford, Norwich and Newcastle have conceded more goals on their own than those two have 
together. So that's nice. They're very similar teams. They set up in similar enough shapes. Defensive structures are quite similar, all about denying opportunity, limiting shots to low probability of um, options. But they do struggle to score goals. Like, Wolves have the fourth best defence in the league and Brighton have the fifth best defence in the league. But Wolves have the second worst attack in the league and Brighton have the third, the, the, the joint third worst attack in the league. So, polar opposites at each end of the pitch. They're polar opposites from themselves, not each other. They're the exact same as each other is what I should be saying. Um... It stinks of a nil-nil draw. It really does. The, the reek off that is quite strong. For Brighton, no Lewis Dunk. He's out for a few months. No Stephen Alzate. He's out till the new year. No Danny Welbeck. No Adam Webster. No Shane Duffy. He's suspended. Lalana might make a chance. Or might make the bench. Uh, Jeremy Sarmiento. He's also out. He had surgery just after making his debut, the poor fellow. Um, Webster, there's an outside chance of him playing. Lalana could make the bench. The rest are definitely out. That is, it's not good for Brighton. They're going to be missing, well, all of their defence. Um, so, Veltman will be in. Dan Byrne will be in. And, you know, whoever else makes up the third centre-back. They didn't have to play at the weekend because the, their game against Spurs got called off. Bad timing for Spurs. They would have had the same the same joy against a team with no centre-backs. But not ideal timing for Brighton, given the failure to win games in recent months. Uh, for Wolves, Jimenez is suspended. Johnny Otto, Pedro Neto and Juan, uh, Yerson Mosquera all ruled out. But big news on Pedro Neto. So... The reports were that he had torn his patella tendon. And that's what the injury was. It appears that it wasn't. It appears it was a broken kneecap. Serious in itself, of course. But not, not career-altering. And he is now back in training. And they're hoping to have him back in January. He is an outstanding player. He is somebody that I think a lot of top clubs will have interest in come the summer. And for Wolves to get him back would be huge because he is a goal threat. He's creative. He's got a rocket of a left foot. And he will add massively to their attack. So that could be a huge, huge boost for Wolves in the new year. They've obviously had a good start to the season, though. They've lost back-to-back -back games. They lost to Liverpool and Man City. We'll give them a pass. Um... Since turning the season around, they've done very well. Defensively, they've been great all season. They just haven't been able to score goals. Neto will help big time with that. Uh, Crystal Palace play Southampton. Palace come into the game having beaten Everton at the weekend to bounce back after three straight defeats. You know, the first kind of wobble under Vieira. Southampton it wasn't pretty at the weekend. It wasn't pretty at all as Arsenal beat them 3-0, hit the post twice and just spanked the life out of them. At Selhurst Park, you'd have to fancy Palace to get a result here. James MacArthur 
still out. Nathan Ferguson still out. But Jockey Manderson back. That's huge for them. Saints have issues, though. Alex McCarthy still out. Fraser Forster still out. Adam Armstrong looking like a doubt. Armando Brogia a doubt. Livermento has a small injury, but they're hoping he'll be back. Che Adams is out, and Stuart Armstrong is out. So, no strikers, no goalkeepers. Not ideal. Not ideal at all. Uh, Willie Caballero looked like a 40-year-old who came off the couch at the weekend. So, I think we'll back the Palace win on that one. Uh, obviously, Wolves-Brighton is nil-nil. But I'm going to go Palace 2-0 over Southampton. Burnley-Watford, a game for the purists. I think we can describe that one as Burnley in 18th. Only one defeat recently, though. They have somewhat turned things around. Uh, I think it's one defeat in seven or something like that for Burnley. Um, Watford, it's four straight defeats. And... Just things not going in their favour. Since beating United, it really hasn't gone in their favour. Leicester beat them. Chelsea beat them, though they gave Chelsea a tough old game. City swept them away, and then they kind of fought their way back into it late on. Um, They went one up against Brentford and then threw that away very, very late, finding new and exciting ways to lose games. For Watford, no Atibo, no Foster, no Cabaselli, Messina's a doubt, Seralta's a doubt, Baz out, Sarah's out, and Nkulu is out. That's just not ideal. So it's the Craig Cathcart show one more time for those that love it. Uh, Burnley have a couple of issues injury-wise. Max Cornette is a doubt. They're not expecting him to play in this one. Connor Roberts is still out, and they're hoping to have him back, I think, in the new year. Ashley Barnes is out, and he's going to be a few more weeks. Dale Stevens uh, was in COVID protocols. He, he doesn't play anyway, so it's not a not a huge loss there. But this is a big, big game because Burnley are 18th, Watford are 17th. A Burnley win takes them out of the bottom three, and they'd have a game in hand on Watford because of the Spurs game getting called off due to snow. Um, it does give them a good opportunity to put a bit of distance between themselves if they can win this one and then carry on not losing, getting points here and there, picking up the odd win. They have only won once this season. Alongside eight draws, only Brighton have drawn as many games as them. They've lost eight times. No, sorry, they've lost six times. Which, when you compare to Watford have lost 11, Norwich have lost 11, Toon have lost 8, Everton have lost 8, Leeds have lost 7, Villa have lost 9, Wolves have lost 7. So Burnley have been Burnley. They've been hard to beat. It's just that they haven't been able to grind some of those draws into wins. I fancy them to beat Watford, I do have to say. I think... Chris Wood will cause Watford a lot of problems. They just can't deal with someone like him in the air. Dwight McNeil's service, Goodmanson's service. I think Burnley win this game. I think it'll be a fairly tough game to watch. 
but I think I think Burnley will come out of it with the victory. And the final game tonight is a big one. Sixth place Arsenal against fourth place West Ham United. If Arsenal win, they will finish this match week in the top four. Now, United will have a game in hand and Spurs will have two, potentially three games in hand. We'll get to that in a second. Um, Arsenal come into this game having gotten a good win and a good performance against Southampton. But obviously they had lost the previous two, beaten by Everton, beaten by Manchester United. Not long before that, they were thumped by Liverpool. They beat Newcastle. That's a game they should win. They beat Southampton's game they should win. So, you know, last five, two wins, three defeats. It's not ideal. They didn't win any of the games that you would have looked at and thought, that's a tough one. They didn't beat Everton. They should have beat Everton. They should have beat United. United were poor. They should have beaten them. They didn't. But they did beat Newcastle. They did beat Southampton. Sign of a strong mid-table team to beat teams at the foot of the table. Um, Arsenal have a couple of injury issues. Kalasnik is out. Aubameyang is suspended. And Bernd Leno is also injured. The Aubameyang thing, who knows how this gets resolved. Maybe they have to get rid of him in January. I don't know who's going to look to take him on. He's got multiple years left on a very, very big contract. And this is not the first time that he's been in disciplinary trouble with the club. Not even the first time since he was appointed captain. His contract actually runs to 2023. So maybe with 18 months left, you could find someone to take him off your hands. He's 32. He has been declining. There's no question. He's got seven goals in 15 games this season, which is not bad, but only four in the Premier League. You're really looking for... I don't even know. There's no money in China anymore. There's not great money in Russia anymore. And I don't think he'd go there anyway. Um, could an MLS team come in and want him as one of their designated players? He'd have to take a pay cut or more likely Arsenal would have to pay the difference of his wages. But I do wonder if maybe it's worth doing. I do wonder if it may, if it maybe it's just worth them saying enough is enough. It's a big, big loss to take on a player they spent a ton of money on. But they can always say, look, Wenger signed him. He's not our problem. Wenger signed him. Um, what did Arsenal pay for him? £56 million. Pounds. See, the, I think he was the last signing of the Wenger era. Um, and look, he scored goals for fun when he arrived. 10 and 13, 22 and 20 in 36, 22 and 36. Fell off a cliff last year, hasn't really been able to find his way back this year. And now he's gotten himself in trouble. He's been stripped of the captaincy. And Arsenal don't have a captain in waiting. They don't have anybody in that squad that seems like a good fit right now. Gabriel, I think, could be a good captain. I think he shows leadership. He's certainly their best defender. But I don't know how good his English is. And I don't know if he's ready for that responsibility yet. He's still very young. Kieran Tierney would be the most natural fit in terms, in terms of a natural leader. 
He's certainly their second best defender after Gabriel. But he's injured quite a bit. And it's not really clear whether or not Arteta really fancies him as a starter. So, I mean, there's no one else. Ben White's not a leader. Tommy Asu, maybe the quiet type, the Cesar Aspilicueta type. You, you don't... You don't give captaincies to your goalkeeper, and, and Ramsdale certainly isn't captain material. Thomas Partey is not a, not a captain. Xhaka had it, and they took it off him because of his behaviour. He shouldn't be in the team anyway because he's not very good. Saka and Smith Rowe are too young. Lacazette's leaving in six months. I mean, Odegaard, he's, again, he strikes me as being too young, but Odegaard has been a captain in the past, as has Tierney. So those are probably your three options. Gabriel, Tierney, and Odegaard. That's probably it. He is the national team captain, Martin Odegaard. And, you know, there's some good experienced players in that squad. But he is the one that they all look up to. So maybe it makes sense. But is he a nailed-on starter at Arsenal? He hasn't been all season. You know, he's been left out a couple of different times. I really like Odegaard. I think he's a tremendously talented player. And at 22, he turns 23 in a couple of days. I think he's got a huge future ahead of him. But is he ready to be captain of Arsenal? I mean... This is Arsenal Football Club we're talking about here. This is one of the great institutions of England. One of the three biggest clubs in the country. One of the ten biggest clubs in Europe. It's a lot of pressure to put on a young man. And Arsenal also have to look into... Is he the type that you're going to give him the armband, maybe he has two or three good years, and then he's going to push to go somewhere else? Would he want to go to Barca? Could he want to go to PSG? Could Bayern want him? Whatever, whoever it is. You know, they had Vieira as captain. He left. Devastated the club. They had Henri. He left. Devastated the club. They had Sesk. He forced a transfer. Vieira and Henri, they acted respectfully. And the club sort of worked with them to arrange those moves. But they still left. Sesk didn't even wait. He just forced a move. Van Persie forced a move. Galas stripped. Arteta always hurt. Mertesacker always hurt. Vermeilen always hurt. Koscielny went on strike. Xhaka stripped. Like Aubameyang now stripped. Three captains in 10 years stripped of the armband because of their behavior. It's probably a bit more than 10 years, but you get what I mean. It's 14 years, maybe. Three captains stripped. Tony Adams gave up the captaincy of Arsenal about a year before Steven Gerrard got the captaincy of Liverpool. Since then, Liverpool have had two captains. Steven Gerrard, Jordan Henderson. Arsenal have had Vieira, Henri, Galas, Sesk, 
Van Persie, Mertesacker, Arteta, Koscielny, Aubameyang and Xhaka. Ten. Ten captains. How does that happen? How does that happen? And how is there not a standout? All the money they've spent, and there's not one standout, it has to be him candidate. Not one. Because there's issues about all of them. There's doubts over all of them. I've seen Arsenal fans doing some incredible mental gymnastics in the last couple of days about Lacazette, give it to him, you know, experienced pro. He's leaving in six months. He's not committed to your club. Give it to Xhaka. We're better when he plays. Are you? Because that really good run you went on when you were telling us all that you were, you know, going to make top four. He didn't play any of that. He wasn't there for a bit of it. He's already been captain and he was stripped of it. He's had multiple disciplinary issues at Arsenal. And he's not very good. You were willing to sell him in the summer. And what's great is, I saw one Arsenal fan say, he's been first name on the team sheet for every manager he's played under at Arsenal. Right. Let's have a quick look at that. Wenger, you forced out of the club as they got worse and worse since Xhaka's signing. Arteta, or Emery was sacked. And it's not like Arteta has been particularly great as Arsenal manager. So he's been a first name on the team sheet and you've been mediocre at best in all of that time. Mourinho was desperate to get him. Really? We're hanging our hat on Jose Mourinho now? The guy who once offered £40 million for Eric Dyer? The man who was sacked by Manchester United, sacked by Tottenham Hotspur, and is working his way towards getting sacked by Roma? That guy? And was he desperate to sign him, considering they didn't come close to meeting the asking price? They were willing to spend 12 million. Is that desperate? Because you'd have taken 15 with adults. You might have postured around 20. You'd have taken 15 with add-ons. And they wouldn't go above 12. So how desperate were they really to buy Granite Xhaka? The mental gymnastics were phenomenal. I've gone off topic as I do, but it's my podcast is nobody here to rein me in, so what can I do about that? Um, yeah, they face West Ham tonight. The Hammers, obviously, look, they've been really good all season. They come into this game having gotten over a little bit of a wobble. Uh, disappointing result against Burnley, but they did play well enough in patches. Before that, they beat Chelsea which was a huge result for them, huge performance. I think they'll fancy the chances of going to the Emirates and getting something, uh, especially in the knowledge that, you know, win this one, you get Norwich next, then Southampton, then Watford. They're all winnable games. Crystal Palace away on January 1st will be a tough one, but again, winnable game. Leeds at home, winnable game. That gets you through to mid-January. 
win this one and you can go on a proper run here. There's five very winnable games waiting for you on the back of it. You've also got an, e- an EFL Cup quarterfinal and an FA Cup third round game to look forward to. So this is an exciting time for West Ham. Now, they do have some issues. They do have some injury problems. Uh, ben Johnson, he's out. Aaron Cresswell, they're really hoping he's going to be ready for this one. Kurt Zuma is out. Ryan Fredericks is out. And Angelo Albana is, uh, is out. So if Cresswell's not ready to start, we're looking at Sufo, Dawson, Diop, Masawaka. But then the midfield and attack are all fit and firing. And they will cause Arsenal a lot of problems. You'd guess the Arsenal 11 would be Ramsdale, Tomiyasu, White, Gabriel, Tierney, Partey, Xhaka, Saka, Odegaard, Smith-Rowe behind Lacazette. That's what you'd you'd guess it would be. Um, Should be a good game. Should be very, very even. I think West Ham are better coached, obviously. I think Arsenal probably have an individual talent edge. Uh, Yeah, I I think they probably do. If you were picking a combined 11, I wouldn't really want either keeper, but I think it can rely on Fabianski more. Tommy Asu and Sufal's a really good battle, but I think I'd edge Tommy Asu just better defensively. You definitely take Tierney over any West Ham left back. Gabriel would be one starter, and of the other three centre backs available, I take Issa Diop. If Zuma was fit, it would be Zuma. But you've got three of the Arsenal defenders in there. The midfield, I would say Rice and Suchek. Partey just hasn't been himself since joining Arsenal, and I'm not taking Xhaka. In the three behind the striker, I do think I take all three of Arsenal's. Saka is better than Bowen. Odegaard is better than Ben Rama, and Smith Rowe is better than Fornals. I do really like Fornals and Ben Rama in particular, but I do think I'd take the Arsenal three. And I think you'd take Antonio. So I've got six Arsenal players to five West Ham players. And I'm sure Arsenal fans will jump up and down and say that Ramsdale is the goalkeeper. But you know that just pushes it further in their, their advantage. And I still think West Ham are a better team. Because I think they're better coached. I think the players where it's the Arsenal player that I pick in that team, their guy is closer than in the positions where I pick the West Ham player. I think they're further away from the Arsenal player. I'm going to go for a West Ham win. A 2-1 West Ham win in that one. And I think I might just start doing combined 11s to piss people off. Um, Because people don't like combined 11s and I think they're fun. So I might just do combined 11s every time I do a match prediction now. Will we do Burnley-Watford? It's basically Burnley's goalkeeper... Burnley's back four, Burnley's central midfield, Dwight McNeil, Chris Wood, and then I'll take Emmanuel Dennis, and I'll take Max Cornette if he's fit, or Sarah if he's fit. 
I'll play McNeil in centre midfield, Sarah and Cornet either side, and Dennis up front with Wood. That'll do if we do a combined 11 for those two. Uh, why not do the rest? Why not? Uh, Crystal Palace. All right, we'll just do this everybody fit. Um, Gaeta's the best goalkeeper. Livermento's the right back. Centre back is tough. Anderson is definitely one. Gwehi or Salisu? I'd go Gwehi. Um, left back, he's played a bit there, but Walker Peters probably the second best fullback between the two clubs. I think I'd go Perot. Yeah, Perot over Mitchell. Um, central midfield, obviously Conor Gallagher, Ariel Romeo. I think I'd just pick those two. Three behind the striker. Zaha for sure. Ezzy for sure. Olise? Yeah, probably Olise and Eduard up front. Palace of a better team than Southampton. What do you want me to say? Uh, Brighton versus Wolves. Uh, neither goalkeeper. They're both awful, but Sanchez, the better of the bad pair. Semedo versus Lamptey. Tomato's better defensively. Lamptey's more fun and better going forward. I'll go Lamptey. Uh, Cucurella versus Aitnuri is really close. I think Cucurella's still a slightly better player, but Aitnuri's right there. Centre-backs, Dunk, Webster, and Kilman. Midfield, Basuma and Neves. Front three, Trossard, Neto, and Jimenez. Yeah. That would be a fun team. That actually would be a fun team. Um, right. I'm going to take a break. Stop rambling. When I come back, we have bits of news, bits of gossip. And that's about it. Seen a few. Right, folks, welcome back. So it is a bit time to do a bit of news. Sergio Aguero has officially retired as a professional footballer. Says he is proud of his career after accepting the very difficult reality of having to retire from the sport to protect his health. His health. Um, he was taken to hospital on October 30th after experiencing chest discomfort. And he was found to have an irregular heartbeat. Aguero said, the decision I've made, I've taken it for my health. Pep Guardiola was among a small crowd watching Aguero make the announcement next in the New Camp pitch. He ends his career after 786 games in which he scored 427 goals for Independiente, for Atletico Madrid, for Manchester City, for Barcelona. And for Argentina, he may well be the greatest City player of all time. He's certainly, certainly one of the greatest number nines we've ever seen in the Premier League. Incredible first touch, incredible burst speed over short distances and could score any type of goal. The modern day Romario, that's who he always reminded me of. Didn't have Romario's flair 
for the ludicrously spectacular, but the same kind of build, same kind of skill set, that short burst and the natural finishing ability, a goal every 108 minutes in the Premier League, comfortably the best in football history. He could have played another 2,520 minutes, which is 28 full games without scoring and still had the best minutes per goal ratio of any top flight, top flight player with more than 20 goals. That is staggering. 18 goals in his career, 12 in the Premier League. That's a record. Fourth highest goal scorer in Premier League history behind Alan Shearer, Wayne Rooney and Andy Cole. Played 275 games, scored 184 goals. Just for some context on that, Andy Cole in the Premier League played about 200 games more. Probably about 250 games more. And only scored three more goals. Rooney, obviously, I mean, what a career Wayne Rooney had. But Rooney played much longer and many more games in the Premier League. And was also more frequent penalty taker. Rooney played a total of... 559 and 77, 676 Premier League games. So 400 more, and yet only scored 24 more goals. And obviously Alan Shearer is the the king of Premier League goal scoring. His record, Harry Kane might trouble it, but as things stand, his record is untouched. And his total in... Top flight football, because obviously he played in, in the first division before it became the Premier League with Southampton. Um, he played 734 games, scored 379 goals. You take out... Oh, sorry, that's in all competitions. What am I doing? I've done all of these for all competitions. Uh, Shearer played 559 games, 283 goals. He played 441 Premier League games to get his 260 Premier League goals. Uh, Rooney, by contrast, um, 491 Premier League games to get his goals. So, again, over 200 games more. And I can't be bothered with Andy Cole because his career was just bizarre. Played, well, no, to be fair. 58, 195, 80. I forgot Andy Cole played for Blackburn. For Fulham, for Man City, for Portsmouth. God, he did bounce around at the end of his career. Birmingham, Sunderland, Burnley again. Sorry, Burnley, Nottingham Forest. Does anyone remember Andy Cole playing for Nottingham Forest? Genuinely, he played up until the 08-09 season. Uh, Andy Cole, you can, I'm not even going to bother. He's, he played a lot more games than Aguero. And uh, and Cunn just has a much better goal-scoring record. Uh, he scored 20-plus goals in all competitions in 12 of 13 seasons between 07-08 and 1920, reaching 30 or more on five separate occasions during his time at Manchester City. That's pretty spectacular. He found the net against 128 different opponents. 
including Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Manchester United. There were 16 days and 16 years and 332 days between Aguero's first goal in November 2004 and his final goal for Barcelona, which came against Real Madrid. What a career. What a ridiculously good career. Shame he never won the Champions League that he deserved, but did everything else. And he's probably the owner of the most iconic moment in Premier League history. So he will be missed in the game. What a phenomenal player. One player who is attempting to make a comeback also from a heart issue is Christian Eriksen. Uh, Inter Milan are preparing to terminate his contract. He is not allowed play in Serie A because he has a pacemaker. So he wants to play, but Serie A guidelines won't allow it, which means he would have to go elsewhere. And it looks like Inter have decided to let him go and just cut their losses and move on. And uh, hopefully Eriksen gets to go and safely plays out the rest of his career. I love Christian Eriksen. I think he's a tremendous player. And uh, that was one of the most horrible things I've ever witnessed. Uh, There is some back and forth over the African Cup of Nations. There were reports early today that it was on the brink of being postponed. But the CAF have come out and dismissed the reports saying it's never been discussed. Now, that's a lie. It's definitely been discussed. There's no way it couldn't have been discussed. But Sky have announced they will show all games live, which, of course, will mean that money takes precedence over everything else. The European Club Association have been lobbying for ages for the competition to be postponed and have said that the clubs involved will not release their players if they don't get certain guarantees met. So we may end up with an AFCON that has no European-based players or certainly none of the star names. Cameroon isn't exactly a safe place to go at the minute and you've got covid rampaging around again so none of it's ideal it would be preferential if the whole thing was just binned off at least this time around but we'll wait and see um eddie howe has added mark leyland from liverpool to his backroom team in order to streamline their analytical approach in terms of match day preparation he will deal with performance data but will also be part of the coaching setup. Eddie Howe said he's a really good guy, first and foremost, who'll help with the implementation of all training and coaching. And Klopp said he was incredibly important, got the chance of a more senior role. Good people should be treated in a good way. So we let him leave for his next career step. So fair play, Liverpool not standing in the way of Leyland wanting to go and advance his career. There's a good article on the BBC website about Drew Yearwood. If that name isn't familiar to you, it may well be in the next couple of years. He's currently playing for uh, New York Red Bulls and playing very, very well. He is an English player who has gone a bit of a roundabout path to making it to the top level. He was in the Arsenal Academy from 7 to 11 and got released. He went to Southend. He worked his way through their academy, got switched into midfield and just really took off, was playing League Two football uh, and League One football as a teenager, 
got a move to Brentford. For whatever reason, it didn't work out. They obviously just had, uh, you know, a vast number of players in his position. But he took a chance. He went to New York to play in MLS. And thus far, he has done very, very well. Very, very well. And uh, there's already been some talk that some Premier League clubs might be looking to bring him back this side of the pond. But we'll wait and see on that one. Many, many reports today that Newcastle are closing in on a deal for Kieran Trippier. Now, it would be an odd one for Trippier, who will probably go to the World Cup if he's playing top-flight football, to agree to a deal where he could end up in the Championship. And, you know, if things don't improve drastically in Newcastle, he could end up in the Championship. Um, Newcastle fans have said, well, you know, We'll pay him 150 grand a week. That'll change his mind. As if he hasn't been earning huge money for years now at Tottenham and Atletico Madrid. Like huge money might influence the decision of a of a young player or a lower league player, but not to an England international currently playing for Atletico Madrid, who are a bigger club than you. Kieran Trippier doesn't solve Newcastle's defensive issues. In fact, he'll only accentuate them. Defensively, he is worse than both Mankio and Kraft. He's obviously superior on the ball. He's a better overall player. But to spend $30 million on a right-back when you don't necessarily need a right-back in this window would be a bizarre thing. I have a feeling Eddie Howe is going to do silly things in this transfer window. I do think we'll see Lingard go there. I do think he'll sign Nat Phillips. And it wouldn't surprise me if he makes a move for Nathan Aki. But... I don't know if City'd sell. City not selling would help Newcastle. It would be a, you know, a helping hand to the turn uh, because they'd end up overpaying for him. Not that Aki's not a good player, he is, but Eddie Howe will overpay for him. Uh, Newcastle have made initial inquiries about Delhi Ali. Delhi should avoid that move like the plague. Atletico Madrid want to explore the possibility of an exchange deal for Manchester United striker Anthony Martial. Who would they be exchanging? Is the question. Manchester United are looking at midfield targets. With Paul Pogba likely to leave for free in the summer. United are not expecting Jesse Lingard to leave in January. As he approaches the last six months of his contract. Why wouldn't you just find a move for him? Why wouldn't you do that? What is it not better to have 10 million for him than have him sit in the stands and watch for six months, play the odd game here and there? Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich has been angered by Real Madrid's pursuit of Stamford Bridge defender Antonio Rudiger and could call off <laughs> could call off attempts to sign Eden Hazard. There are no attempts to sign Eden Hazard. Let's be clear on that. There are no attempts to sign back Eden Hazard, who's finished. The Rudiger thing is agent talk, and El Nacional are farcically poor. Barcelona are considering a move for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. But wages could be a stumbling block. Unless he's been given away for free, wages aren't the stumbling block because you've now got the Aguero slot that you can use. The stumbling block is you've no money to pay a fee. West Ham are prepared to push ahead with a move for Nat Phillips. I have doubts. 
I really do have doubts. West, uh, West Ham also have hope for a move for Nikola Milinkovic as an apparent agreement for between the 24-year-old Serbian and Fiorentina's owner means he's likely to be on the move. So he's had a contract in the summer, and I think he's agreed not to sign a pre-contract. He's agreed to let the club recoup the money. West Ham tried to sign him last summer, came quite close as well. So it would make sense for them to go back in. That's someone they've targeted, someone they know, someone they like. And Milinkovic would be a really good addition for them. Fiorentina have set a 100 million euro asking price for Dusan Vlahovic. No one will pay that. Someone will get him for less than that. West Ham. West Ham seems to be after everybody. They are targeting New York City's Argentine striker, Valentin Castellanos. No idea who he is, unfortunately. Paris Saint-Germain, Barcelona, Liverpool, Manchester City and Tottenham are all thought to be monitoring Rayane Nuri, but Wolves would receive only 50% of any transfer fee due to a sell-on clause. That's not true. The 50% part is not true. Um, but it would make... Look, it, he's going to be linked to a lot of clubs. He's not going anywhere right now. And if he's smart, he'll probably do this season and next season with Wolves and develop and play regularly. Sheffield Wednesday manager Darren Moore has confirmed the clubs are in talks to decide whether Everton defender Lewis Gibson should continue his loan stint at Hillsborough once he returns from injury. He's a good defender. West uh, Everton could kind of do it, a decent defender. Barcelona are plotting a raid for Chelsea's Dutch left-back Ian Matson, who's on a season-long loan at Coventry City. Yeah, I'm sure Barca are watching Coventry regularly. Oh, Wayne Vesey, spoofer. Um, Leicester are interested in Swansea's 22-year-old Dutch forward Joel Perot. He's looked really good this season, so you know he, he could make sense for a Premier League club. Chelsea will not be able to recall Conor Gallagher from his loan spell in January because of a clause in his contract that says they can only do so he's playing 50%. They wouldn't want to anyway. They've got more than enough midfielders. Real Madrid have approached Michael Edwards who will leave Liverpool as their sporting director at the end of the season about taking up a similar role at the Bernabeu. That is probably a dream job for him, though he'd need to have some assurances from Perez that he will have a lot of control. Previous sporting directors have not had as much control. Uh, That is me for today, folks. I have just had a bit of a mare trying to read some of that stuff. My eyes are... Starting to play tricks on me. I will see you all tomorrow. Enjoy tonight's games. Remember, don't watch Watford Burnley. Don't watch Wolves Brighton. Watch the other two. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.